listener. Kick Pump acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Yulukut Wollum clan of the Boonwurrung, who are part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past and present, and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the Kick Bump Podcast, your fortnightly DNM on all things motherhood. One, two, three, four. Hi guys. Hi Lindsay. Hello Steph. Welcome back to another kick bump. I cannot wait for you guys to listen to this amazing, beautiful chat. And I can, I can speak it up like that because I barely spoke. (laughs) It was not me. It was all our wonderful guests who I'll, who I'll introduce and I'll get into in a little bit, but it is such a special, special chat. So definitely continue listening on. But before we get into it, instead of a Harvey update today, I've got a bit of a kick uh, update for us. So Bond's baby search, which I feel like if you know of children or even if you just know of Bonds, you probably know what this is. Um, but we it's so exciting. Kick has partnered with Bonds and their entries for their 2024 baby search, which opens next week, um, which is so exciting. So if you don't know what Bonds baby search is, basically they're on the hunt for Australia's babies firsts from newborns to three years old. And by entering, you could win a share of $30,000. Um, plus this is where we come in with Kick. Every entry will receive a free month of Kick. So everyone's a winner. So if you're interested, head to the Bonds website, bonds.com.au, to get alerted when entries open. And we'll also pop that link in our show notes. But you can enjoy a free month of kick and also be in the winning to $30,000 or a share of $30,000, which is so exciting. Um, but now for the very, very beautiful chat with our incredible guest who is actually from our Kit community, Kim Wallace. So she is a Kit community member who is based in New Zealand and reached out and got in touch, which I am so, so grateful for. And please, if you have a story, if you think there is something that has happened in your life or you've experienced that you feel is not shared enough, or you've just got something to say, we would love to hear from you. Absolutely love getting to know our community members. And I mean, that is how we hear more diverse stories about people's lives. And Kim's story is about her two beautiful little girls, Elsie and Olive. Elsie, who is her three-year-old, her eldest, was born at 27 weeks gestation. She suffered a brain injury either during Kim's pregnancy or during quite a traumatic birth, which has resulted in a diagnosis of cerebral palsy where her mobility is very affected. So in this chat, Kim explains her entire pregnancy, her birth story. Um, It's quite a traumatic birth story and Kim is incredibly generous with how much she shares. Um, all to the point of even being in the NICU, getting the diagnosis of cerebral palsy and basically up until this point where she now also has her second daughter, Olive, and what life has been like her and what community has meant for her. And it's just an incredible story and one that, you know, I'm sure there'll be people in our community who will take so much away from this or maybe you might be pregnant and you might have already had some news that your child may be born with a disability or you've just had a child and they've been born with a disability and you're looking for someone to relate to and to hear from. I think you're really going to get a lot out of this chat and 
I just, I honestly, I can't, can't thank him. If you're listening, can't thank you enough again for your time and your generosity in this story that you shared, because honestly, you're one of the most resilient, um, you know, people I, I have come across and I think you're just so beautiful inside and out. And I'm, I can't wait for everyone to hear your story. So here is Kim Wallace. Kim, welcome to Kick Bump Podcast. I'm so excited to have you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm great. How are you? Very good. Very good. I think um, there's something about meeting community members that just absolutely brightens my day. And I'm so excited to have a conversation with you and get to know you and your incredible story and what you are here to share today. I'm really keen to get straight into it. So I thought we would start right back to your pregnancy from the very beginning. Was Elsie's pregnancy, was it a pretty straightforward pregnancy wise? Yeah, it was. It was. So we were one of the lucky ones. We fell pregnant really easily. I think it might've been our second try. Mm -hmm. Um, It was right smack bang in the middle of COVID. Mm -hmm. I got your typical morning sickness, which I think came on around that six, seven week mark. And it lasted until about 18 weeks. So it went on for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of came right and I had this beautiful period of, you know, that second trimester where it's, it feels easy. You start to get a bump, you start to feel kicks and movement. And, um, yeah, then I, I think I got to about 23, 24 weeks and I just started to feel really heavy, like mm. really didn't feel quite right, kind of heavy and, I could, you know, I used to go for walks every day and um, I started struggling to walk. It was really difficult. And um, at work, you know, we'd have a meeting every Monday and it was just a 10 minute meeting. So it was quick and I could no longer stand up for those meetings. I had to sit down and I started to think to myself, how, how am I going to feel when I'm full term? How am Mm. I going to get there? This is already so hard. And turns out there was reason for that. And then I think I hit 27 weeks on the dot and I came home from work one day and I went to the bathroom and I wiped and there was the tiniest, tiniest little amount of blood. And I remember thinking, oh, this is probably nothing. You know, this is probably nothing, but I'll call my midwife. So I did, I called her and she got me straight up to maternity and she she put me on the monitors, checked baby, baby seemed fine. Um, and I will just mention here, sorry, we didn't know what the sex was. So we didn't want to find out. We wanted to leave it a surprise. Um, and yeah, everything seemed fine. And she was also in the middle of a couple of births. So she was busy. She had Mm. two ladies in labor, um, and everything with me kind of seemed fine. So she said, head off home. Um, and I'll catch up with you again tomorrow. I think she had to rush off to an emergency as well. So we went home um, that night. I felt a little bit crampy, had a little bit of back pain, but I'd already been uncomfortable. So again, I just kind of thought to myself, oh, maybe it's a UTI, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it's it's nothing serious. And I woke up the next morning. I went to work. I I work, I'm really lucky to work with one of my best friends and I explained to her what had happened and she said, you know, that just doesn't sound quite right. Um, I wasn't sure, you know, 
I wasn't quite sure what to do. I didn't want to bother my midwife. I just didn't want to bother anybody, you know. Mm. Um, I'm that kind of person, unfortunately. And so luckily a couple of people pushed me to yeah. to go and see my midwife and the midwifery practice was um, just across the road from our office. So I walked over there um, I spoke to the receptionist. I think I had tried to call my midwife by this point and I couldn't get through. So I spoke to the receptionist who told me that my midwife was off somewhere else for the day. Um, and it kind of left me with, you know, well, well, what do I do? I, I actually, you know, really want to get checked out again. So luckily, just as I was about to leave the office, um, the boss, like the, the the head midwife called and um, the receptionist just asked me to wait for a minute and she explained to her what, what I was feeling and what had happened. And and I, then she popped me on the phone to her and um, I explained to my symptoms what was happening, the small bleed I'd had, and, and she said, no, I'm going to meet you up at maternity in 10 minutes and I'm going to give you a really thorough check and just make sure everything's okay. So she checked me. Uh, she could see where the bleeding was coming from. And uh, she also ran a couple of swabs. One of those is called uh, the fetal fibronectin test. And um, I believe that when you are close to going into labor, the fetus starts to produce a protein that, yeah, comes out through your cervix, I suppose. And um, if the levels are reading high, then then that, that says that you are likely to go into labor shortly and um so she ran that test and again I didn't I was just in la la land I suppose Mm. I didn't think too much of it um so she left and about 10 minutes later she walked back into the room and she sat down and um oh this is gonna make me emotional already (laughs) she put a hand on my knee and she said that's come back as a really strong positive and um this is what we're going to do now. This is what comes next. And she explained that from this point on, I wasn't allowed out of her sight. We were going to have to go to a bigger hospital where we live in um, the town of Topo. It's a, it's a rural hospital, so they don't have the facilities to look after prem babies. Yeah. Um, so fortunately, I was able to get to the closest large hospital, which was Waikato Hospital in Hamilton. And um, she took me there by ambulance. I wasn't even allowed to go home to pack a bag. Um, I'd obviously called my husband by this point. So Mm. he raced home, packed everything I needed. Um, And, yeah, we we headed off to hospital. And I spent the next six days there. Uh, I don't think the doctors in this hospital thought it was that serious that someone did it one of them did explain to me that the fetal fibronectin test um can can often have come back as a false positive especially if you're bleeding so um yeah so but but in saying that they said that basically I was going to be in there until until baby was born so yeah so I spent six days there and those six days were up and down um I started having contractions. They were just minor. So I'd, I probably wouldn't even call them contractions. I'd call them tightenings. Um, and they continued over those six days. There were some points in which they ramped up. There was one evening I remember um, they got 
they started, yeah, they started ramping up. And so I downloaded like a contraction timer on my phone and I started Mm. timing them and they were every five minutes. I was hot and sweaty. Um, My husband wasn't there that day. Um, And I do just want to say too that he, um, you know, we had bills to pay and we had animals to look after and we we didn't know how long this was going to go on for. So he was back home, which was a two-hour drive away. And, um, and I'd just call him with updates and he'd come and visit a couple of times a week. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, there were evenings when I was by myself and yeah, things would ramp up and I'd call the midwives and because baby was so small, they would pop the Doppler on my stomach and, um, it wouldn't always read the contractions, I think, because they were small, baby was small. Mm. So, um, while I could feel everything and could feel that something wasn't right, Ugh, from their end, it probably didn't look like much was happening. And um, so this, yeah, continued on for a few more days. And the day before she was actually born, I I started to feel a little bit different. And I can't I can't explain the feeling. I didn't I didn't feel physically unwell. I just started to feel different. My mindset shifted and I felt yuck. I think that's probably the best way to explain it is I felt yuck. And um, I called one of the nurses to come in and I said, look, I, I said, I can't, I can't put my finger on it, but I just don't, I don't feel well. Something feels off. And she took one look at me and she said, yeah, she said, you look like a completely different person to the person that I saw this morning. She said, I'm going to get the doctor to check you. So, so um, a couple of minutes later, I I went in and was checked by a doctor and he was a lovely man. I, I can remember everyone that looked after me because they were all so kind. Um, and he checked me and he said, yes, he said, you're three centimetres dilated. Uh, your waters are bulging. I love that word. It's a sexy word. Mm. <laughs> I said, your waters are bulging and I can see a full head of dark hair. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, a moment well, there were many moments along this journey where I was just blindsided, but that's when I realized like, holy shit, excuse my mm. language, but mm. like, this is, this is happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so would you like me to move into the I, I'm, I'm absolutely ho- not hooked, but like I am all in, please continue. Yeah. I, Cause I, I know, and, and feel free to share as much or as little as you feel comfortable. This is, this is your story, yeah. but um. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Okay. Okay. So, um, so the next steps were when you are in premature labor, mm-hmm. um, uh, a drug that they like to give you is called magnesium sulfate. Anyone who's listening, who's been through this will probably cringe when I say those words because it's a really horrible drug. Um, uh, I believe that it's used to slow premature labor and to reduce the risk of brain bleeds in premature babies. And this is going to sound really silly, but the best way to describe it is, I don't know if you've seen the Twilight movies back in oh, the day. Obsessed, that was obsessed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, when Bella is turning into a vampire, I think she mm-hmm. she says it's like her body's on fire. It's like there's fire running through her veins. And that's exactly what this drug does to your body. It, um, I believe that it dilates all of your blood vessels. So everything's right. just rushing around. And... Um, 
they have, you know, you get so hot, you're writhing around, there's nothing you can do. And they give you a, a big bolus amount over 10 minutes. And then you just remain on a smaller amount until baby's born. But that 10 minutes feels like the longest oh, yeah. time ever. Um, they've got fans on you. They've got flannels on your head. Um, I remember saying to the nurse, I think I'm, I feel like I'm going to die. And they had explained that, that that's how I would feel. So I knew that it wasn't going to be comfortable, but it was yeah, it was, it was really, really awful. And anyway, so the 10 minutes passed and, um, I finished the drug. Well, sorry, I remained on it, but just on a small amount. So it wasn't quite as intense. And, um, they set me up in the labor ward. And when you're on this drug and in my position where I could give birth any moment, uh, you're not allowed out of sight of, of anyone. So it was kind of nice in a way we would have, um, I would have a midwife for her whole shift. So Mm. she would be in my room for the whole eight hour shift and she wasn't allowed to leave the room to go to the toilet. She wasn't allowed to just duck around the door to grab something. She just had to have her eyes on me at all times. On the sixth day, the day that she was born, um, still nothing had changed and they, they were considering sending me back up to the ward because they thought, you know, things had possibly slowed down, weren't going to happen. Maybe it wasn't kind of imminent. And uh, so they let me have dinner and my husband was there that day, which was perfect timing. <laughs> um, so they let me have dinner and then, yeah, I gave my husband a kiss, sent him off to stay in a hotel for the night. And um, literally it was probably two or three minutes after he left Uh, I rolled over in bed and my waters broke. And the way to describe it, I mean, I'd been so uncomfortable for so long that for a split second, I felt relieved because the pressure was gone. And uh, that instantly was replaced with shock, you know, like the full on shakes. Um, I think there, there was so much water. I remember there was so much water. I had so much fluid that it was back behind me on my pillow. Like it was everywhere. Mm. And, um, and I said to the midwife, I said, I think, I think my water just broke. And she was like, what? And she came to check and I'll never forget her, the way that she said this. She just, as soon as she saw and confirmed that it was my water, she just said, Oh honey. And, and yeah, she, she knew what I was about to go through. Um, yeah, I was in shock. They had explained to me that if my waters broke, my baby was going to be born pretty quickly afterwards because Mm. she was so small. Mm. Um, I still at this point didn't know that she was a girl, um, had a strong inkling, but didn't know. And, um, yes, I was in shock. I really quickly called Greg, my husband, and, um, luckily he hadn't left the hospital car park because it's really hard to get car parks in this hospital. Like it's, I'm sure any big hospital, um, luckily he was just in his car about to reverse out when I called him. And so he went straight back into his car (laughs) and uh, I'm so grateful because otherwise he might've missed it. Um, and he, Yes, he ran back down. Um, By this point, my midwife had pushed the emergency button and probably 20, 30 people filled the room. And my contractions instantly ramped up up to probably 10 out out of 10. They were so, so painful straight away. And, uh, um, but they were still kind of giving me a little bit of time to see what was going to happen. I think they checked me and I was seven centimeters mm-hmm. and then they checked me 10 minutes later. No, sorry. They checked me and I was five centimeters. They checked me 10 minutes later and I was seven. 
Yeah. So all of a sudden, um, my baby's heart rate started to drop. And um, this will make me emotional again, but her heart rate started to drop. You know, this whole time I'd been hearing it because I'd been on the monitors the whole time I was in hospital and it was, you know, this fast little baby's heart rate. And all of a sudden it started to drop and it started to get slower and slower. And um, I'll never forget the sound of that heart rate going boom, 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 boom. And it's just getting slower and slower and slower. And um, that's when they quickly said, nah, like this is, this baby's got to come out. And they just, you know, took the gas off me, which the gas was the only pain relief I had because there was no time for anything else. Mm. Um, you know, whipped that off me, raced me down the hallway. And I'm talking like a movie, like everybody's running. Everybody's running me on my bed down the hallway to theatre. And um, I'm screaming, you know, I can, I can still hear a baby's heart rate slowing and slowing and slowing. And by this point, I'm just screaming, you know, just save my baby. Just cut me open and save my baby. <sighs> sorry. I'm really sorry. Um, and it was like an out-of-body experience. I felt like I could have been floating above and just watching all of this happen. And uh, on the way there, it was only like a 50-meter run to theater, but on the way there, I started feeling the need to push and I said, I said, I think I need a push. And that's when they also just suddenly realized there's no time. There's no time for a C-section. There's no time to put it to sleep. We just have to get this baby out. So they got me into theater. I think there was probably at least 30 people in there. There was um, a few beautiful moments in there that I can look back on now and say they were really they were really nice. Um, I had a nurse on either side of me holding my hands. So I had someone on either side of me just supporting me. Greg obviously couldn't be down that end. There was too much going on. So he was behind me and I knew he was there. And I just kept saying to them, is Greg okay? Is Greg okay? Because I knew that for me going through it, I was, you know, I was in the thick of it, but he was having to watch this and what a, what a traumatic thing to have to see. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, um, so yes, yeah, so they, so I was screaming by this point, absolutely out of, out of control. And, um, and they said, you know, Kim, you have to stop screaming and you need to push. They said, we, we have to get your baby out right now. And so to get her out faster, they gave me an episiotomy and, um, and forceps, which with, with no pain relief on board, I don't recommend to anybody. Um, And I think I pushed three times and she came out. And um, I had been so terrified this whole time about what she would look like being so small and so underdeveloped. Um, And she came out crying and I was so lucky to have 10 seconds where she was placed on my chest um, and... I just remember looking at her and she had, out of anything, she just had this perfect little nose, this tiny, tiny little nose, and it was the most perfect thing I'd ever seen. And we we didn't, as we said, we didn't know um, what she was. So that was another beautiful moment that came out of us. We still got to have the, you know, the doctors lifted her up and they said, Greg, do you want to tell us what it is? And he was like, 
I think it's a girl. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah, and I just, I think I had known all along and we hadn't decided on a name, but um, but I said, Greg, it's Elsie, isn't it? This is Elsie and, and yeah. So we still got that moment amongst it all. Um, and then, yeah, she very quickly had to be raced off and, and um, Greg went off with her and I remained in theatre and, you know, birthed the placenta and got stitched up and all that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, then kind of so started our NICU journey. And, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. of course, because, you know, so young and so premmy, of course, you guys were in the NICU. How long was she in there and, and what was that like for, for you guys as well, you and Greg? Um, so we were in there for 11 weeks altogether. So she was born on the 26th of October and, um, and we were home by the 31st of December. So our NICU journey was, it's never going to be, it's never going to be easy regardless of whether you just have to spend a couple of days or a couple Mm. of weeks, or for some people it's months and months and months before their babies get to come home. And, um, the only way I can explain Naku is, and again, excuse my language, but it's fucked up. Like mm. the whole journey is is difficult. You're recovering from birth. You're having to travel back and forward to the Naku. You're pumping every three hours because your baby needs milk. You're, in my case, recovering from an, episi- from an episiotomy. You have no time to rest. It's hard. You're worried about your baby constantly. Yeah. Um, there's monitors going constantly in your ear. So if there's any change in heart rate, an alarm goes off. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really hard. And somehow I don't, I don't know how I managed, but I got up every day. Um, you know, when I was discharged from hospital, uh, we, I was able to stay in a motel down the road, which was, which was not nice, but it was as close as I could get. Um, and yeah, somehow I managed to get up every day, get to the hospital for eight o'clock, which was the first doctor's rounds. And I'd probably stay there until most nights about 10 o'clock at night. And I'd just sit there all day, just pumping and reading to her and singing books and all the rest of it. And, um, and yeah, I guess I should mention, so when a baby is, brought, is born as prem as, as Elsie was, um, they have really routine brain ultrasounds. They're usually, in my case, sorry, I'm just speaking from, from my yeah, experience. Yeah, your experience, but in, of course. Yeah, yeah. So in my experience, um, they left Elsie for five days. So, so obviously she had nappy changes and they'd, you know, give her a little wash and things like that, but she wasn't allowed to be picked up. Um, so if you can imagine trying to, change a tiny baby's nappy through a hole in a cube. You know, she was in a humidity crib, keeping her at a, at a constant certain temperature. Um, you're trying to change the nappy through this, through this hole and not move her too much and, and give her a little wash and do all of her cares. And, and it's just, it's insane. It's just crazy the way that you're trying to work around this little baby. And, um, so they kept her still for five days. And the reason for that is in case she'd had any brain bleed, sorry, brain bleeds. Um, it just stops anything from being disrupted. And so on day five, they did a brain ultrasound and, um, the results of that showed like a bright patch on her brain. 
And in those first few days, they said, look, we're pretty sure it's just an imaging problem. Um, so we're going to, we're going to redo this next week and see what it looks like. So I kind of dropped it and left it because I thought, oh, okay. You know, they've told me it's probably likely just an imaging, Mm. imaging problem. Um, let's just move on and take that off, off our list of worries for now. And, uh, they did, they did another one the following week and it still showed this kind of area of abnormality, but, and I think I'm a little bit blurred here with mm, kind of what happened. Enough. Yeah, yeah. But it was another few weeks before, um, and they kept, sorry, they kept continu- continuing these head ultrasounds every yeah. week for probably three weeks. And it was probably the third week when I got the courage up to say to them, like, well, what, you know, they can see changes on the brain. I said, what does this mean? And I kind of asked it off the cuff. Mm. I didn't really expect what I was about to hear. So I didn't have anybody with me. I was by myself this day. My husband, Greg, was at home. He had to work. Um, And I'll never forget the look on these doctors' faces when they, when I asked that question, their faces kind of all dropped and they all looked at each other and they said, you know, she has a brain injury. Um, the technical term for it is called periventricular leukomalacia. So it's a, it's a mouthful, wow. um, PVL for short. And yeah, they, and I said, well, what does, what does that mean for her? And I was in tears by this point, you know, barely, barely standing. Um, so then they started to mention words, you know, um, disability, cerebral palsy, um, likely some vision problems. And, you know, you see in the movies those moments when, when people have bad things happen to them and the world kind of closed, you know, yeah. people describe it as their world closing in. My, mine literally did. I think, like, you know, everything went kind of black and I mm. just, my life changed again in an instant. Um, and, yeah, at that point they didn't they didn't really mention anything about a physical disability besides the fact that they thought she was going to have problems with her vision Mm -hmm. and um so they couldn't give me any more information they explained that you know we don't we don't know exactly how she's going to be affected but this is what we think it's it's you know this is how we think things might happen and um so yeah I didn't I kind of just went on that you know another couple of weeks went on and I tried not to Google anything because I knew that Google wasn't going to be my friend. And, um, you know, obviously I had to call my husband and, and, and tell him this news. And I can't quite remember what his, I mean, he's, he's so, so beautiful and his reaction has always been nothing, but you know, nothing short of incredible, um, to hearing such news. And yeah, so we just kind of continued on. There's nothing that we could do to change what yeah. had happened and um, it was going to be some time before we saw what the effects of um, of this brain injury was. And um, so I think we were there for about, we were in Waikato Hospital for about five weeks and um, then we were going to be transferred to Rotorua, which is closer to home. So Rotorua is only about an hour from home. So the day before we were going to be transferred, um, I had another doctor stop me um, and she said, hey, look, I've just taken a look. She said, I see you're about to be transferred from here tomorrow. Um, I've just taken a look at your daughter's ultrasounds and I'd really like to have a chat with you. Um, 
and of course that just you know triggered me to think oh my gosh this is not this is not good and um, so about half an hour later I I met with her and another nurse who was like a support person for me because again I don't know why but this was another day when I didn't have anybody with me and I was by myself yeah so I went and I met with this doctor and the support nurse and um, I can kind of set the scene you imagine walking into a boardroom which all the lights dimmed and there's a projector up on this up on the screen and it's highlighting the pictures of Elsie's brain and yeah she explained to me that you know she she really zoomed in on on the injury that Elsie had which was basically it was like Elsie had had a stroke um whether it was during birth which I assume it was um or it could have happened during my pregnancy but I'm fairly certain I know exactly when it was which is when her heart rate was dropping during the birth um she zoomed in on these images and it showed just dead brain matter around some of the nerves in her brain. And she said, what I can see here, the nerves that are affected in the parts of her body that are going to be affected are going to be her arms and legs, mostly her legs. She will very likely have a diagnosis of cerebral palsy, um, which won't become obvious until, you know, she starts needing to reach milestones and then yeah. it will become more obvious exactly how she's going to be affected. And, um, and yeah, again, one of those moments where my world crumbled again. I mean, if you can imagine your heart breaking over and over as each of these things is happening, that's what happened. And um, I just had no words. I just thought to myself, how, how is this happening to my lady who, has is so innocent and has done nothing wrong but simply be here and how did my body let her down in such a way that she's going to be affected this badly this doctor and this nurse they were beautiful you know they 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 hugged me and they let me cry and they acknowledged that yeah this is going to be really difficult and um this is going to be a really big journey for us and um, it's going to be hard and it's going to be unknown and, you know, but you will have supports throughout the way. And, um, yeah. And then I left that meeting and they, um, they let me go and sit in this, this lovely little room so I could call my husband. And, um, I, I, I can never express how much gratitude I have to him in the way that he responded when I had to call him and tell him that our daughter was likely to have like a really severe disability. And he said, he didn't even cry. He said, but it doesn't matter. None of this matters, you know. She'll be loved and that's all that matters. She'll be loved and regardless of her ability, she's going to have a great life. And I don't know. Sorry, I don't know. I don't know where he got the strength from, but it just shows exactly who he is as a person. And he's incredible, and I couldn't have done any of this without him. And, uh, yeah, so, again, we just kind of had to get on with things because we still weren't going to know exactly how things looked. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, we continued our journey. We transferred to Rotorua, which is a still a large hospital, but it's smaller and yeah, closer to home. So I was able to make a couple of trips home while I was there. Um, I was also able to have a room in the hospital. So I could, I was like two meters from the nursery and that was really nice. So I, yeah, I would just be in there all hours of the night. And um, I've hardly spoken about Elsie here, but she nailed her NICU journey. She, <laughs> we were so, so lucky. I mean, a lot of prem babies can suffer from like a multitude of conditions as yeah. a result, you know, gut issues similar to us, you know, um, head and brain injuries, um, breathing issues. And she just, she didn't, you know, besides her brain injury, she was such a happy and healthy little tiny wee baby. And um, she was a really good size. I um, I had a lot of milk, so I was really, right. really fortunate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, have re- I have really big boobs, and I was like, "Thank goodness they're finally coming in handy." <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I had a lot of milk, so much milk that I was able to donate. Oh, I, I don't even know how much, but a huge, huge amount to Wakato Hospital. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So if there was, you know, one good thing to come out of this, it's that I was able to to help. Um, other mums and other babies and so there was yeah no lack of milk she started breastfeeding when she was probably about 34 weeks gestation yep okay um she picked it up really easily I did have to use a nipple shield just because her mouth was so small just to help her latch yeah um and and because she was so small she couldn't breastfeed for every feed um she was mostly she had an ng tube in so she was mostly Mm. tube fed and then Mm. once a day we would we would do a breastfeed but it would use up a lot of energy and um yeah so the rest of our journey was pretty straightforward we spent um yeah so another six weeks in Rotorua hospital and yeah then as soon as she got the energy to um to breastfeed what's it called exclusively breastfeed Mm -hmm. uh we and she started putting on weight then we were we were able to go home and you know she was slowly weaned while we're still in hospital she was slowly weaned off the breathing apparatuses and um yeah and yeah that was oh Before we move forward, I would love to go back. You mentioned that you were so lucky to have her on your chest for those, what, maybe 10 seconds before they had to take her away. And then there was a solid five days where they had to keep her still. What was it like not being able to hold her? And then when you finally did get to hold, it's making me cry. Um, (laughs) When you finally got to hold her again. There was another little hiccup in the road there where I got sick when she was probably four days old. And um, so it meant that I, as soon as I started to feel like a tickle in my throat, I took myself away from the NICU. I said, this is going to be really hard, but I I can't risk passing this on to her or any of the other small babies. And um, so I took myself home for for a few days. And because it was the middle of COVID, I saw my local, my GP and yeah. um, I had to do a COVID test. And these were the days when the tests would take five days to get a result. Um, seems like such a long time ago, but <laughs> I was, I was, um, I was stuck home for five or six days and 
when I say that that time was excruciating, that's an understatement. I remember I just had such a strong pull to be with my baby. Of course. And, um, you know, as you say, like I hadn't even, I hadn't even held her yet. Um, I remember there was one day when I was just in absolute despair and I just sat on my couch all day and cried the most guttural, horrible cry because I just wanted to be with my baby. Mm. And um, so, yeah, eventually I got my results back and it was negative and I literally had my bags packed. So I jumped straight in the car and drove, drove back to Hamilton. And, yeah, that afternoon I got my first hold and... Gosh, I mean, you'll know what it's like, Steph, with beautiful Harvey when you hold your baby for the first time and they're these warm little bodies and they smell mm. just amazing. <laughs> and and she was so tiny, so even getting her onto my chest yeah. was, was, was difficult, navigating all of the tubes that were attached. Um, but she was just perfect and it just just absolutely felt like she belonged there. And, oh. um, I, I mean, I describe, her as, I describe her as my soulmate because... Yeah. That's how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I can completely understand that. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. So as you guys got home, as she started to reach these milestones, um, you know, that what, what point was it that you realised how much she was going to be affected and how old was she? Yeah, so we were pretty closely monitored by um, the child development team, our local child development team, and... Um, I think we went for our first check and they run this test. I can't remember what it's called, but they basically go through all of these things and, and see mm. if she's reaching these these small milestones or not. Um, so she would have been about eight weeks corrected age. Um, and that one was fine. So mm. that gave us hope. kind of this false hope. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I remember we left, we left that, that meeting and they'd said, look, yeah, she seems pretty on track for your typical eight week old baby. You know, you'd pop her in her tummy and she was able to, you know, not a lot, but just push herself up a a wee bit. Um, and she was starting to develop like a, a little bit of head control. Um, yeah. So, so we got out of that meeting and we were ecstatic and we called our parents and we said, you know, she's running on track, you know, how incredible is this? And, uh, yeah, so I think, I think we saw them again a month later. So she would have been about 12 weeks corrected and, and they ran the same test, but for this, you know, for the 12 week age and yes, she wasn't meeting what was expected of her at 12 weeks. I think she should have developed some more head control. Uh, You know, her vision should have looked a little better. She should have been able to focus a wee bit on things. Um, Yeah, and and that was was Mm. another point in which our hearts Mm. broke that day Mm. again. I don't, you know, they hadn't even been pieced back together yet, but they broke again. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, and that that was kind of the start of my grieving journey. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you get pregnant, you have this idea of, of what your life's going to look like and what your child's life is going to look like. And uh, when you get a diagnosis such as this and you start to see the, the milestones that she's not reaching – you, you know, you start to grieve and you go through a grieving process. Yeah. 
and um, you're grieving for them because yeah. you know that that life is is not going to be easy. And someone had someone had told me that um, the first year of parenting a child who who faces challenges is the hardest, and they were so right. It it was a year of you know testing and and constantly yeah. seeing that she wasn't meeting these milestones. She was meeting some, um, you know, she 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 was able to start eating and she still breastfed really well, which told us that the the muscles in her throat, fortunately, weren't affected. Um, but yeah, it was a really hard year. It was lonely. I mean, I think, I don't know if I can speak for everyone, but I think early motherhood, especially with your first child is pretty mm. isolating anyway. Um, but this was isolating on another level and it was lonely because people, you know, people mean so well and were doing so much for us and we had so much support, but nobody knew exactly what it was like to be in our shoes. Um, and yeah, so yeah, there were, there were days and she brought us so much joy. She, she brought us so much joy, but there were days when I, I, I physically standing up was the most that I could do that day. And it was so hard. It was so hard. And I would cry and just cry and cry. And my mum would come over most days and um, my in-laws, my beautiful in-laws. And um, we were really lucky that they were sounding boards for all of the worries that we had and the unknown. And, and yeah, and I guess here's where I kind of want to bring in, I mean, we had so much support and everyone was incredible. And um, there are some people that when we would explain our story and what had happened to Elsie and, and how things would likely look, they would say, you know, she's going to be fine. She's going to be absolutely fine. She's, um, you know, she'll, she'll just meet her milestones when she's ready. And they mean well. They mean yeah. so well. Yeah. Um, I can't fault them on that. But I would get, I would feel real frustration and irritation anytime anyone said to me, she's going to be fine, just give her time. And I couldn't explain it for a long time why I felt so frustrated um, and and I wanted to be positive uh, and it was really hard to be positive, but I couldn't explain this feeling for a long time. And it wasn't until I read this really beautiful book called Special. She's actually the lady, the author who wrote it is called Melanie Dimmitt. I'm not sure if you've heard of her or the book, but it's the most incredible book. We'll um, put the book in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, please do, please do. Uh, I really encourage any parent who's going through anything similar to read this book. She tells it in such a witty, incredible way. Uh, It follows the journey of her son, Arlo, who also has um, had a diagnosis of CP, and she talks to all of these parents of of kids with special needs. And, um, yeah, she just writes it in this incredibly witty way, and she – put these words perfectly into the book and she explained my feelings and she said it's called toxic positivity and Mm. I thought yes that's it these people everyone you know everyone wants to be so positive yet I think me being the primary caregiver and and me and Greg being the ones who speak to the specialists and speak to the doctors and the physios and everyone we knew the reality of of how life was going to look and we were seeing it physically and her body change, you know, as she grew. And 
yeah, so that was difficult. And I still find it difficult when when people tell me that she will get there when she's ready because I also don't want her to ever feel the pressure to to have to do things. Um, yeah, I mean, she's three now and um, we have lots of hope for the future, but at, at the moment we are working on independent sitting. So she's not yet sitting independently or crawling or walking. Mm-hmm. Um, her legs are mostly affected. Um, they have a lot of spasticity. So the type of cerebral palsy that she has is called spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy. And there's a grading system called the, um, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the GMFCS scale. Mm. And it's a, it's, it's a scale of cerebral palsy of one to five, one being the least affected and five being the most severely affected. And she probably sits like a high three, almost a four. And, um, yeah, that means that she's got a lot of spasticity in her body. So a lot of tight muscles and, um, they just affect her ability to do things. So she wants to do things, uh, but it's just, it's, it's tough for her. And we are really lucky that she has got her little voice. So I was just about to ask. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, um, Oh, she's just, she's amazing. She's, yeah, she started to talk. That was one of the things that, that was one of the milestones that she did hit kind of bang on is she started to talk and she was able to eat and um, you can't stop her eating now and you can't stop her talking. (laughs) (laughs) And she's, she's smart and she's funny and she's just pure gold. And I saw a quote the other day where somebody said, there's some people that come into this world with spirits that can't be broken and that's absolutely her yeah and I hope I hope that somehow she's able to hold on to that that's really beautiful you said before about you know having people around you and um when they couldn't relate you know they meant well but it was just it was just different and that that book helped you but talk to me about this disability community that you found and what that community has done for you yeah, so it took me a little while to immerse myself mm. in the disability community. Uh, I was probably in denial for a little while, firstly, and then secondly, um, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, where I felt scared to look into the future and see other kids who had a similar disability to Elsie. Yeah. I didn't want to know what the future looked like. Um, yeah, I... I remember the first time that one of the, her physios and she she didn't approach it in the right way. She she took one look at Elsie and said she's she's absolutely going to be a wheelchair user and and you know we hadn't even thought wheelchairs at that point. She was only I think she wasn't even one yet. Um, right. So that hit me like a train too. That Can you know set off another little roll of grief. But I think um, as time went on and I started to accept what had happened. I joined the Cerebral Palsy New Zealand Facebook group. Mm. Um, So that's families of of children with CP or people who have CP. And um, yeah, that wasn't, that's incredible. I still, I still go on there every day that people post Mm. every day and it's just, you know, little questions or, um, you know, how did you navigate this or, um, or otherwise there's, there's bigger things on there, you know, um, oh, how did you get back to work? How did you navigate getting your child yeah. into daycare? All that kind of stuff. And 
yeah, I think it, it takes some time to accept what's happened before you can yeah, immerse yourself in these things because it's, it's overwhelming. There's a lot of, there's a lot of information out there, but we have definitely found that the people we get the best information from is not the professionals, but it's the families who've, who followed a similar journey Yeah, and yeah. And, and, you know, friends of friends who have been through something similar, we've got someone local in town whose daughter I think is six now and she's very similar to Elsie and it's, it's really, really nice to go to her because she's a few years ahead and say like, look, we're at this point now, like, what did you do? What equipment do you have? And um, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah, the people that I have found most helpful are definitely the families that have been through it. Hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting, and, isn't it? I think it, that that's yeah. like parenting in general. I feel like yeah. you can you can vent and you can ask all these questions, and or you could you could you could vent to the point where you feel like all you're doing is complaining, but you know that the other person on the receiving end totally understands that mm. the like you know the child you were talking about is still your world you know, at the yeah. end of the day and you don't feel like you need to go back and say that or, or you know, reason yeah. with them or anything. And it's, it's, it's refreshing. So I can only imagine, of course, with the questions that you would have, how reassuring that would be. Yeah. Um, so I think that's amazing that you did find the courage to do that and that, that it's helped you in that way. Community is everything and it's, it means so much to us here at Kick. So um, that's really yeah. special to hear. Um, since then, you've had a second child, Olive. We have so, little Olive. Tell us about that. Uh, yes. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a journey too. Um, mm. Fortunately, it's not as traumatic. But, yeah, I mean, if you'd asked me in the few months, maybe the first six months after Elsie was born, will we have any other kids, it was a hard no. Yeah. Absolutely not. Like I'm not, I can't risk going through that again. I can't risk. You know, I, I, I held a lot of guilt even though I, I know deep down that this is not my fault and there's nothing I could have done, I still hold on to so much guilt that it was my body that was supposed to look after my baby and it and it didn't. It didn't do what it was supposed to. And so, yeah, for a long time, I just couldn't even fathom the thought of trying to, to bring another baby into this world after the difficulties that we and Elsie had been through. And then, you know, you pass that... <laughs> newborn phase and they start growing and you start getting a little bit sad that they're not tiny little babies (laughs) anymore (laughs) and you start to yeah I started to think like oh I just have so much love to give I always thought I'd have a really big family because Mm. I just I love kids and it's everything I've ever wanted to be as a mum and yeah so I started to 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 think well you know I knew that if I went through another pregnancy, it would be considered high risk. So I would be really well looked after and I'd be monitored regularly. Mm. So I think it was when Elsie turned maybe about two. Mm. She was about two. And, um, and yeah, we decided to try again. And I went to see an obstetrician before we started trying to just kind of talk through what the process might look like and mm. and and what support I would have and and how I'd be monitored. You know, a big thing that we had to consider this time um, is now we had Elsie. So yeah. if we were to go through another journey, it would be, you know, it would mean that I would have to be away from her for an unknown amount of time. 
And um, I just want to say here too that we don't know why I went into early labor. Uh, I just did. And there's not, there's no explanation for it. Um, Yeah. So, so this next pregnancy would, would be uncertain too, because there's nothing, you know, there was nothing to pinpoint, you know, we can change this and, you know, you might remain pregnant until full term. So anyway, so we were really lucky uh, the second time to get pregnant quickly again. I think again, it was our second, our second Mm. try. And, um, yeah, I was straight away referred to an obstetrician. So I saw an obstetrician the whole way along and, um, he decided to put me on and now I can't remember the name of the drug. It's just gone out of my head, but it's okay. Something. <laughs> progesterone. That's it. Um, <laughs> progesterone. So he, he put me on progesterone from 16 weeks and I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe progesterone stops the uterus from contracting. Okay. Um, so it was just a precaution, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I had to be on that throughout my whole pregnancy and, um, yeah, this was a different pregnancy. Uh, I, I wasn't as uncomfortable, so I was able to get along a bit easier and be a lot more mobile and, and not feel so uncomfortable. Mentally it was hard, uh, mm. because I was still worried the worried. whole way yeah. along. Yeah so so worried and I think because I was so worried I was a little bit you know disconnected from my baby um and I hate saying that but it's just the truth because I was so worried that something was going to happen yeah and I couldn't imagine getting to full term because I'd never been there Mm. and I couldn't imagine this baby coming out without injury because I hadn't experienced that before yeah and so I think at about 20 weeks, I said to my midwife, like, I'm, I'm mentally struggling here. Uh, I think, you know, I need to see somebody. And so she referred me to the perinatal mental health team. Um, and that's because I wanted to be in a good headspace by the time mm. that this little baby was born. Like, I didn't want to be stuck in the thick of all of this mental stuff, you know, while trying to look after a newborn baby. Yeah. But, yeah, so it meant that by the time... Olive was born, I had processed and digested it all and felt in a better headspace. And um, yeah, so that pregnancy fortunately was really straightforward. I, when it got to 36 weeks, I was able to stop taking the progesterone because it was, you know, pretty safe for me to go into labor by that point if I was going to go early. And yeah, I think I stopped it at 36 weeks on the dot and uh, I went into labor four days later. So (laughs) So yeah, it turns out that maybe that progesterone was helping me yeah. to stay pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> um, the whole time I'd just seen it as a burden, you know, uh, just this, you know, this pill that I had to take every day. But um, really, it it probably was the deciding factor between, um, yeah, stopping me from going into prem labor, and yeah. So, would you like me to go into? Yeah, you was, know, it stra- Olive's, was the rest of yeah. it straightforward as well? Um, unfortunately not. Oh. <laughs> I had been hoping, I had been hoping after oh. my labor, after my labor and birth with Elsie, I was Someone really, would look really after hoping. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was really hoping that I could have this beautiful, healing, natural birth mm. and, and, you know, it would somehow help me to heal from the first traumatic birth. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't nearly as, as traumatic, but... 36 weeks and four days. Uh, I had no early signs of labor coming. I went for lunch with a friend that day and um, I'd just been, you know, 
nesting around home all day, doing the washing and all that kind of stuff, getting baby stuff ready. And um, Elsie was at daycare that day. And um, I noticed all day that my dog was staring at me. Like he'd just stop in like a really random place and stare Mm -hmm. at me, which is really unlike him. And, and I said that to my friend when I went out for lunch, I was like, Oh, Kenny, he's been staring at me all day, just weirdly, but I had no physical symptoms. And, um, yeah, so I went to bed that night, everything was as normal. And I woke up at about 1am to the pain of contractions. Um, yeah, the pain actually woke me up and, um, I didn't wake up Greg. I just kind of took myself out to the lounge and we lit the fire and had some dim lights on and I just bounced on my ball and and I was trying to stay calm. Like I was really trying to stay calm. And these contractions were already, they were five minutes apart from the get-go. Wow. And yeah, and and just, you know, ramping up quite quickly. And so I think I was, you know, I labored on my own for about an hour and then I and then I realized this was this was happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I think I was in denial until that point, but you know, things were getting worse. And I'd also, I just need to say, like I did have a night a couple of weeks beforehand where I did start to have a couple of contractions too, but then by the morning they had died off. So I, I, you know, when this happened again, I thought, yeah. Oh, it's probably just the same thing. So yeah. So by that point it was, it was getting bad. And I walked into the bedroom and I just burst into tears and woke Greg up and I said, I think I'm in labor. <laughs> and I was terrified. Like I was terrified. I was just in that headspace. I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go through this again. Like I'm so scared. I'm so tense. I was so tense and I was desperately trying to stay calm, but I was just so scared. And, um, even though I was, you know, even though she, she was still, you know, 36 and four weeks is still considered prem, mm. but a lot, you know, mm. there's a lot less that can go wrong. Yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, so I woke up Greg and, and we called my midwife and she said, just, you know, hang out at home. And as soon as you feel like you, you know, you can't, you know, you, you're not taking the pain anymore, give me a call and we'll, we'll go into hospital. So I think I only lasted like another hour. And, and by this point I was, you know, making all the noises and mooing my way through contractions. And we'd called my parents and and we asked mum to come over just so she could stay with Elsie in case we needed to race off. And so we had all these things in place, which was beautiful. And, and yes, we called my midwife only about half an hour after we first rang her. And I said, look, I'm just not, this, I'm not coping with this. This is, this is scary and hard. And so she, she got me into, into maternity and she checked me and I was five centimeters. So yeah, into established labor and yeah, we jumped in the car. We drove to Rotorua, which was a slow drive and it was really emotional unexpectedly. It was, I don't think we said a word to each other the whole way. I just, yeah put on my playlist yeah yeah absolutely and and Greg was even Greg was in tears yeah he um because he's reliving this trauma too it's not just me um and so I was like I have to stay calm for this trip like it's an hour it's a long time I just have to get through Mm -hmm. this and so I we both just silently cried the whole way and we had some beautiful music on and um and we got to Rotorua and, um, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention, just going back a little bit to when we met my midwife and she checked me to make sure I was in labor, she popped me on the monitors and she noticed that my baby's heart rate was rising with contractions and it wasn't coming back down afterwards. So there was no variation. 
I threw all ideas of this beautiful natural healing birth out the window and I was like, just get my baby out safe. I'm resigned to the fact that I'm going to need a C-section. Um, and I'd also just like to say that I really wanted to avoid a C-section because of Elsie's immobility. She needs, you know, yeah, she still needs to be picked carrying up. And, her. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she has heavy equipment. And and so this whole time I was like, I'll do anything just to avoid a caesar. And yeah, when push came to shove, I was like, nah, just just cut me open and get my baby out yeah. safe. I don't care. We'll deal with it. Yeah. So, um, so this junior doctor went off to speak with her senior doctor and me and Greg, you know, had a little chat while we were waiting. We said, yeah, let's just do a Caesar. Let's just get it all over and done with. And, and, um, and then she came back in and she said, Oh, the senior doctor actually wants me to break your waters and see how you're going to progress. And I was like, what? <laughs> I've just had to get into the, the headspace that I'm going to have a Caesar. I was like, I don't, I just don't have it in me to go through the rest of this labor. And I was again, so terrified. That was the main thing that I felt was scared. Um, sorry. So they broke my waters and her heart rate just, you know, skyrocketed yeah. and wasn't coming down. So then they were like, no, we'll do a Caesar. So they took me down to, to theater and I was waiting outside for a little while, but yeah, I dilated to about nine centimeters and, um, oh. and I was, I was having to remain flat on my back because of, of her heart rate. And, someone was having to push on my stomach to keep her in a certain position and I was screaming and because it all happened so fast I don't think the doctors had had a chance to look over my notes and look at my history so they probably thought I was being really rude but I was actually just just acting straight out of fear and I think I was saying to them like what are you guys doing what like you know this has happened before and it you know my baby was hurt last time um you know can you just hurry the fuck up basically excuse my language oh no I would have screamed that (laughs) yeah yeah and so they took a long time to get me in and and by that point I think I was nine or ten centimeters and they wanted to give me the spinal block or the epidural and I was like I can't I can't sit through that I can absolutely not sit through that I'm too far gone I said you just have to put me to sleep and they were like oh you know are you sure and I was like yes just put me to sleep and get my baby out she's she's not safe in there anymore and um yeah, so they they yeah, they knocked me out and and I woke up a you know, I don't know how it was, you know, and maybe an hour later and little Olive was born and yeah, she was just so cute and so perfect and she was only six pounds, so she was a little tiny baby. She had no body fat on her, so she was just, you know, skinny little arms and legs and she was she was perfect and yeah. Suddenly and you got to like, hold her and she could stay in your arms. Well, yeah. So because I had um, been un- had gone under for the surgery, so I was under GI, I had to go into recovery for a while. So Greg oh, went with course. Olive. Yeah. So it was a couple of hours before I got to see her again. Um, so still kind of missed out on that that beautiful little period where they placed on your chest. and. Um, but I had to let that go. I had to let yep. that go. And, yep. um, yeah, I saw her a couple of hours later and she was just – just perfect and she had you know she didn't have to be attached to any cords and yeah I could just cuddle her for as long as I liked and she was my baby and you know with Elsie it often felt like she belonged to the hospital and I had to ask permission to do you know to touch my baby um whereas it was different this time with Olive she you know I just I could just be with her oh I'm so so happy to hear that whilst it was still not you know the smoothest of of uh, births mm-hmm. that 
Olive was well um, and that you're smiling and talking about it with smiles and so much love. And I think your story is so it's, I mean, it's a story to us, but it's your life, you know, you've lived it. And for anyone who maybe they are pregnant and they know that their baby is going to be born with a disability, or maybe they've just had their baby and they've been told this news and they don't really know what to do with it. What would you say to those people? What, like, what can you say to give them, I don't know, and yeah. anything? <laughs> I think I would just say that you're going to be okay. It, it, it's going to be okay. And when I say okay, or when I say, you know, everything is going to be fine, that's different to what most people imagine, but you're going to be okay. You are, you're going to, you're going to work through it. It's going to be hard mm. and you have to let yourself grieve. You have to let yourself grieve in order to overcome. Um, I mean, when I say overcome, I don't think that grief is ever going to go away. There's always going to yeah. be a small part of it that's there. But um, you have to let yourself grieve and find your support network. Find, you know, if it's your family, your friends, anybody that you can. And I think I kept a lot in I don't think I even told my friends properly about how I was feeling until I don't know maybe a year ago when I opened up and and just told them how hard it is um and often throughout that time like I was tunnel visioned for a long time I was tunnel vision it was just tunnel vision to me it was all about Elsie and yeah what I could do to help her and um I think and you know throughout that time I was a great mum, but I probably wasn't such a great wife. And I was a great mum, but I probably wasn't a very good friend or daughter because my whole life was just about my baby and I had no space for anybody else. And um, I felt really guilty about that, but but that was my survival mechanism. Yeah. And um, whoever, you know, if, if anyone else has got to go through this, be open and be honest and don't feel like you, you know, your world is your baby at that point and just do whatever you can to get through until you get to a point of acceptance and, and forgiveness for your, you know, towards yourself and yeah, just rally everyone around and let them know how you're feeling. And, and people are incredible. I mean, we had so much support financially. It's hard you know, financially it can be really hard. Um, mm. I'm I'm not sure what it's like under the NDIS in Aussie, but in New Zealand we don't receive a lot of funding for physio and occupational therapy and everything that these kids desperately need. Mm. Um, and so we've had to rely on, uh, we ran a Give a Little page a little while ago because we just, we really struggled to pay for therapy yeah. and, it's, and it's what we need. And um, we opened it up and and asked for five thousand dollars and we left it we left it open for six months thinking you know people whoever can donate will donate when they can and we had no expectations and it felt terrible to have to ask but we're doing it for Elsie and within 24 hours we had 13 grand and you know it just shows the incredible people that we have around us yeah and just ask for help ask yeah. for help it's really hard to ask for help anyone finds it you know everybody finds it hard to ask for help but you absolutely have to you have to yeah oh thank yeah. you so much Kim it has been just an absolute pleasure to have you on and 
I just know so many people are going to take away so much from this from this chat. So I, I can't thank you enough for your time and your generosity and everything you shared. It's such a personal story, um, which, you know, you don't have to share. So I really, really appreciate you coming on and yeah. Yeah. Thank Hope you for having me. You have the most amazing life with your beautiful <laughs> girls. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I, yeah. I'm really grateful to you for having me on and letting me tell my story. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining guys. Hope you enjoyed that chat. If you would like more info, you can check out our show notes of the episode. And if you would like to get involved with the kick pod, you can find us on Instagram at KickPod. Send us a voice note or DM or question there. And we'll be posting all our videos and behind the scenes on that KickPod Insta too. So you can show your support by giving us a follow. And if you would like to join a bit of a virtual mother's group is what we like to call it. We have our kick bump Facebook group. So you're all welcome there. Uh, there's so much love and support in that group. It's something that I'm very proud to be a part of and we would love to have you. If you would like to learn more about Kick, you can head to our website, kickapp.com, or you can head to the Apple Store and Google Play Store. And if you'd like to join Kick, we have a seven-day free trial. We will be back in your ears very shortly. Bye. Bye.